Can I keep it real, dog? Welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 115. My name is CJ Schrader, and with me as always, my two shorter than our guest host co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Duggs. Hey, this is Jess. And Brian Brillivan. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. I'm an old-fashioned bear who prefers doing things the gummy way. <laughs> no, let's stop. That's not, that's not natural. All right. <laughs> we have a very special guest host on with us today. Um, is it Taylor Swift? No. <laughs> But I wager he appreciates Taylor Swift like any good American should. We have the <laughs> rules manager for Magic the Gathering, Matt Tabak. Urge to sing Taylor Swift is rising, guys. Oh. Oh. Hi, guys. How's it going? Going great. Thank you for that uh, very height uh, accentuating intro. Appreciated that. Well, well let's, see, let's see here. We, we had you on the show once before. Uh, yeah, uh, where it's it's been, I think, like a year, year and a half, something like that. Yeah, uh, time flies. True. You, it's one of our favorite episodes to reference, uh, and I know that the listeners have appreciated it as well. Uh, but for people that have joined us recently, uh, they, they might not be familiar with the, uh, with you. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work at Wizards? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, greetings, new listeners. Uh, so my name is Matt. Uh, I've been working at Wizards since about 2007, uh, back half of 2007. I've been in R&D for a few years now, and I've been the Magic Rules Manager since about Innistrad. Uh, so I came to Wizards uh, actually through the Judge program. Um, many of you old-timers may remember I was a not not quite high-level judge, but, you know, level three. Uh, nothing to sneeze at. Uh working GPs and Pro Tours and traveling around this great land of ours. And uh, eventually it came time to get a job, and Wizards was hiring, so I applied. And it worked. I have no idea how, but it worked. I uh, found myself in their game support department, answering player questions, which I w had some practice doing. Uh, eventually moved on to work to support Magic Online and found my way into R&D as an editor and took over from work Gottlieb as Wolf Manager. So, so it didn't start so off started. as... On your first day, they were like, here, figure out how to make double-faced cards work. Go. I'm pretty sure that in my interview for my very first job at Wizards, uh, I knew more about magic than the rest of the entire room who were asking me questions about magic. Like, do you know what trample is? <laughs> That's adorable. Wow. So, <laughs> That's adorable. Well, I was able to sell it with some amount of adorable, so and not be like, "Yes, of course I do." Awesome, awesome. Uh, so I have a, a, a very pressing question. Uh, it, it is no, no, no. This is this is not that pressing question, but it, it might actually be to last week. But, okay. Um, is is. Is the dress uh, blue and black or white and gold? The dress I saw, and this may just be my monitor and some plugins I have for Chrome. I saw green and gold. Well, I, I don't know. If... <laughs> That's never come up. <laughs> really? All, all I saw was green and gold. Really? Might that have something to do with the, you being a Packers fan? It might be. I'm not sure. Um, I do tend to see green and gold in a lot of places, uh, especially Magic cards. But yes, no. I'm a, uh, as if you follow me on any of my social media outlets, you know I'm a huge fan of the uh, finest football team in all the land, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, their colors being green and gold. So uh, I saw both, which was weird. I don't trust my eyes or anything, and yeah. I was so sure that everything I saw on the internet was believable up until that moment. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's what shattered your. That's the yeah, dress. The dress. It was. It was. It was great. So, so you do actually spend a lot of time uh, uh, working. Your... Yes, I do. That's right, bosses who might be listening to this episode. I spend a lot of time working. So, say you spend you spend a good amount of your free time in the evening at home while you are watching television uh, uh, on a Tumblr blog where you answer a lot of uh, uh, questions. That uh... I do. I do have a Tumblr. Uh, Tabak Rules. That's T A B A K Rules. Uh, yeah, no, it's fun. I, I was kind of inspired by, of course, Mark, Ro- Mark Rosewater, head designer in R&D, has a very famous Tumblr where he has millions and billions of followers where he gets to interact with people and answer questions. And it, it looked kind of fun and I actually made a Tumblr account originally to respond to some of his questions because I had comments or, you know, somebody asked a rules question that maybe Mark didn't know or what have you. So I actually made the account just to start answering questions on Mark's Tumblr, and I accidentally started one of my own. <laughs> Oops, I tumblered. Yes, I tumbled right into it. And yeah, people ask me, uh, there's, there's four people in R&D that are kind of known for their tumblers, Mark Rosewater, Doug Beyer uh, from Creative, Gavin Verhe, uh, he works in design. And then I have my blog. Mine is uh, the one, only one of the four, I believe, that I, I will stray outside of magic. You know, I'll answer sports questions. I'll answer, what am I eating for lunch? Well, um, it's uh, mostly magic. There's Ro- a lot of magic. Rosewater's talked about that sandwich he eats every day, like oh, that's true. 38 times, I think. Yeah, Rosewater does the banana thing and the, the, the ham, ham on rye. So Ham on Jewish rye. So Yeah, I get the sense I stray outside of magic a lot, but who knows? So what uh, from from looking at your Tumblr? So what exactly is Barry's Land and oh, yeah. uh, Barry's Land um, was an idea many many years back. The original design of this idea is it wanted to push your domain cards to six. So domain counts the number of basic land types among lands you control, and of course there's five basic land types. So we wanted to make a way that we can introduce a sixth basic land type, but without introducing a sixth basic land type. Because if we actually introduce a sixth basic land type, then some existing cards get weird. Um, I think Coalition Victory is probably the poster child for this thing. You know, all of a sudden you would need this sixth basic land type that may or may not actually be on cards, or at least cards you could find that may not be in your whatever format you're playing. So we really just wanted to make a way something some sort of effect that could push your domain count to six, not seven, eight, nine, and ten, just six. So that was Barry's land, named after Barry Reich, who I believe he originally created the domain mechanic. I've never met the guy, but I, that's a little bit before my time. Okay. So uh, yes. my Tumblr really, really love coming up with ideas for Barry's Land. A lot of them are good ideas. They're the same ideas that we came up with. Um, unfortunately, they don't work for the same reasons that we discovered when <laughs> R&D explored that mechanic. So I kind of feel as new people get sucked into this conversation, they have a lot of the same good ideas that we had than other people had. So I kind of have to perpetually explain why these ideas, while they sound really good, there are flaws in them and why we haven't actually used it. This oh, is no, not my, my brain is going to be bad. My, my brain is going to be like trying to figure this out the whole episode now. That's yeah. a, oh, yeah. God. a problem. So, so, something, <laughs> so something something that people have have also asked about on your your Tumblr account, uh, whereas Barry's Land has not become a reality, something that right. they've been asking for that has become reality is instances and sorceries on the battlefield. What's up, Manifest? <laughs> It is true that players will a lot of times come up with ideas or ask questions where the answer I have to give 
will become wrong in some number of months or years, but I can't tell them that yet. Like, hey, is it possible in the rules to have this mechanic? And I'm like, well, yes, that's three sets away, but I can't say that. So I'll say something, I'll just demure, be like, well, maybe it's possible, or we write the rules, so anything's possible. <laughs> so is it difficult to to keep multiple, like, it feels like you keep multiple sets of rules in your head at any given time. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of live, perhaps more so than most of R&D, I live in a longer stretch of time. So I'm working on the future stuff like everyone else is. I'm working on the current stuff because I have to write release notes and I have to update the comp rules and I have to update, um, well, the release notes and comp rules mostly. <laughs> but I'm also living in the past because through updating, updating Oracle, I'm constantly looking at cards from Magic's 20-year history. So my brain is kind of in the entire Magic timeline at once, uh, whereas designer development, you know, once they're done with the set and it moves on to editing, they're a lot less involved. Not so, zero, but so, less. So let me ask you this, uh, since you're living in all, all, all three times. Um, since they announced at, at PAX that Battle for Zendikar has a strong anteater theme, um, <laughs> yes. are you regretting uh, removing that creature type? Uh, most people missed uh, all of the hints, the anteater hints that we dropped the first time we visited uh, Zendikar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that joke needs explaining or not, but let me assure you folks, <laughs> I don't actually know anything about Battle for Zendikar other than there was a video that we showed and it was yeah. awesome and people hugged. That was, that was about all that's out there. That's literally all I know about the set. Okay. So, Hang on, I'm working on the FAQ rating. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> FAQ confirmed. Sorry, release notes. <laughs> release notes. FAQ denied. Release you, notes. you heard it here. There will be release notes. <laughs> So we changed we changed the name of that document to the release notes because it was kind of silly to have a document called the FAQ when there were no questions and surely they weren't frequently asked because the set wasn't public yet. Yeah. So we changed it to release notes because it has a lot of information in there in addition to rulings and uh, the new rules. There's also a lot of you know release dates and things like that. So how how do you how do you go about since we're, since we're talking about the release notes how do you go yeah. about uh, coming up with, or do you have like a team to help you assemble the release notes? Like, how do you gather up the what you feel are going to be the, you know, the common issues or the things that players are going to to ask about or might get confused over? So I do have a team. Um, I, I manage a team of external uh, experts, um, several of them from the judge program. Uh, they are credited at the top of all the release notes. Um, so each time uh, a set is coming out, we have to write the release notes. The first thing I do is I send that team the set, and I ask them to provide me all of the bullet points, like any individual card rulings. Uh, the first part of the release notes, it deals with mechanics and keywords, and I write that, flesh that out as best I can. This is also my opportunity to work on the official comp rules uh, for those keywords and mechanics. Most of the time I've already written them just through the course of development, but sometimes some of the easy ones I'll wait until I'm actually writing the release notes to come up with the actual rules. Uh, I will then take a first crack myself at all the bullet points. And I'm basically just relying on experience here. Like one of the benefits of having a Tumblr and having Twitter is I get to interact with players. So I know what kinds of questions they tend to ask. So I try to preemptively answer those as best I can. Um, I purposefully don't read the review team's notes until I'm done with that first draft. Then I go through all the review team notes and see what they've provided and they'll they do awesome work. They will often provide bullet points that I didn't see or didn't think of. 
Or if it's a situation where I'm kind of on the fence on do I want to include this bullet point or not, and I decide not to, if, you know, three of the five review team members put it in, then I'm like, ah, maybe it's worth it, and I'll put that in. Um, there is kind of a desire. We don't want the document to be super long, where, like, players can't read it and absorb it, preferably before the pre-release. Um, but we, we do want to be thorough, so it's kind of a balancing act there. Um, that So the document goes through some more iterations, and then I send it off to editing, and they do their miraculous work piecing my words together. So from a, from a timing standpoint, you normally put out an article, I'll say, you know, two to three weeks uh, prior to the release notes coming out that just talks about the the mechanics. Is, is there ever – like you get questions on your Tumblr or maybe emails sent to you or something like that where someone asks, hey, how does this mechanic interact with card X? And you go, oh, that's a really good, you know, that's a really good question. Let me go ahead and make a note to fix that in the rules. Yeah, it has happened for sure. Um, we try to anticipate all possible cases. I mean, one of the things about the magic rules, is one of our axioms is everything must have an answer. We would love it if it was an intuitive, easy to grok answer, but failing that, we just want there to be an answer. So if there's a hole, we want to patch it. Uh, but Magic has coming up on like 16,000 cards, so sometimes things fall through those cracks. And I'll get a question on Twitter that's like, well, what about, you know, it's usually like Necropotence or, uh, not Necropotence, Necropotence is simple. Uh, what's a complicated command. old card? Word of Command. Yeah, word of command is pretty complicated. That's a good one. Um, you know, humility is obviously an all-star. Oh. Um, so I have Chains so, of Mephistopheles yeah, and uh, uh, Sylvan Library. Sylvan Library, yeah. And one is a creature, and it's been. Uh, <laughs> the other one is actually an equipment, and it's <laughs> and, so, so yeah, every once in a while, someone will ask something. I'll be like, "That's a good call. I should, you know, change a rule or write a rule or do something." Awesome. So, um, the, so I, I have a, I have a question about, uh, so on Dragons of Tarkir, you are credited, uh, as being part of the final game design and development team. What, what is that? What? That is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, so I, there's two teams and I forgot exactly what we call them in the credits. Um, informally around here, of course, we know them as design and development. The final game design and development team, I think, is what we know as development. Um, I get credit on almost all booster releases in my role as rules manager, because even though I'm not on the development team proper, I am working with them constantly throughout development, working on individual cards, full mechanics, that kind of thing. So I get credit with uh, with contributions by. I contribute. It's what I do. Every once in a while, I'll actually be on a design or development team. And then I'll get actually on, on the main list with my own comma. Have you made any cards for, for dragons? Heck no. Have you seen the insane stuff in that set? you think <laughs> any of that came from me? Well, I mean, um, maybe. Megamorph? Eh? So, I mean, I definitely do a lot of work on mechanics. So, like, how Megamorph works. I'm definitely a huge contributor there. Individual cards... Every once in a while, I will get one in. I don't recall anything in Dragons that was specifically mine. Uh, but let me take four seconds and research the entire set and see what I can come up with. This is me flipping through the player's guide. These are nice-looking cards. <laughs> it's a, it is a good-looking set. Um, this is an exciting portion of the podcast, I can tell. People, <laughs> like, you know, I read a lot of podcast books, and they really say have a lot of visual elements in your 
audio podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you guys actually publish this, is there going to be like game show music as I browse the cards? Oh, uh, no. Da, 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 da. I mean, we, we, we could make that happen. That's the thing. It could happen. Yeah, you know what? I'm afraid I, I I can't claim credit on any Dragons of Tarkir cards. You'll have to have me back for Magic Origins. Oh, okay. And uh, deal done. <laughs> I'll hit you. I'll hit you up there. Um, fact, let me tell you about this one card in Magic Origins. You'll love it. Uh, it costs. No, no, no. Is it is it an anteater? <laughs> is it? That's what I've got. Is it have a mechanic no, a mechanic called gummy berry no, juice? That's all I can say. There are currently no anteater cards. And we took anteater Uh-oh. off because apparently pangolins aren't anteaters or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not the Discovery Channel. I have no actual idea. <laughs> I did see a pangolin at the San Diego Zoo. And you know what they are? Adorable. <laughs> can, can that be a creature type? Can we get that added? That was one option we discussed was just making it a pangolin. Could we kind of need no, just creature dash adorable. Sounds like a super creature type. It's a super type, adorable creature dash pangolin. Ah, oh, it it could be a super type. Then you could have like adorable spells. Yeah, <laughs> counter target adorable spell. Ah, oh, I hope this isn't unsolicited card designs. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, so there's there's. <laughs> And the wheels are loosening, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Yeah, Brian's losing it. I am. I am. So, uh, so mega, mega morph. Mega morph. Uh, you said you had a lot to do with uh, its its creation, or or rather, its uh, its implementation. Uh, yeah. Is there anything at... you can share about how that came to be? Sure. Um, I mean, we're definitely looking for a way to show that morph in this new timeline. Now that Sarkin has gone back in time and changed things how Ugin's magic rooted in deception was still there, but it had taken a different form. Um, We explored a lot of different variants of things we could do about it. Uh, One of the early ones, I might get the order wrong here, so if you hear another interview where the order was different, they're right, I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, One was Auromorph. Mark Rosewater has talked about this before, where it was auras that you could cast face down as creatures, and then when you flip them up, if it was an aura, it just hopped onto another creature. Um, One that gets talked about a lot is are the the theoretical instants or sorceries with Morph, uh, where you cast it face down as a creature, and then flip it face or turn it face up and in doing so somehow cast the spell either casting it from the battlefield which is weird but theoretically possible um those just didn't play very well uh it's the kind of innovation that's really fun to talk about and theorize about but when you actually start making cards with it development felt that it just wasn't the best game experience so we eventually hit on megamorph which reads kind of simple like it's obviously very similar to more the play pattern is is the same, but it's actually just a lot of fun because you just have that sort of uncertainty. And one of the things like with Instance and Sorceries, for example, is we found if you've got a bolt, uh, it was just kind of a feel bad, cast it face down as a creature, hang on to it. And it went through a lot of different iterations, I'll put it that way. But this this just ended up with the best game experience. Okay. So Morph, it's everything you know and love, but bigger, <laughs> which is truly a mechanic I can appreciate. <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, uh, let me let me ask you. Just jumping jumping back, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back in time for a second since we're talking yeah. we're talking about morph. I'm gonna ask. Fun theme. I'm gonna ask a question about manifest. Going back. Okay. Um. So 
you, you guys made the decision to allow instance and sorceries to sort of kind of be on the battlefield. Was that yeah. a, uh, like, I guess, I guess it's kind of been a longstanding rule. It's like, no, we're never going to do this. And then you guys did it. How much trepidation was there, concern, or was it like a, something that was immediately latched on? I was like, yeah, this is cool. Let's do it. I mean, as rules manager, I will deny the allegation that we ever allowed instance or sorceries on the battlefield because instance and sorceries are never on the battlefield. These, right, they're creatures. These, these creatures are on the battlefield. Uh, there was a lot of trepidation, and it went through a couple different forms. Um, you know, I'm a big fan. I talk a lot about, you know, the system, the magic rules being a closed system and everything has to work. Uh, could an instant be on the battlefield, however briefly, like long enough for state-based actions to sweep it away? Yes, but it causes confusion, especially if that happens. Like, did a permanent leave the battlefield as an instant a permanent? Like, we were pretty clear that that's not true. But then there was an incident on the battlefield that got swept away. And it just it caused so much confusion that we wanted to steer clear of that. So we came up with the system where if an instant or sorcery is face down and would turn face up, it just doesn't. You're like, nope, I'm an instant, sorry. Even if copy effects are involved, whatever shenanigans you can come up with, the rules somewhat unusually, somewhat um, pointedly, Say, look at the card itself. Ignore all effects that are trying to apply to it and just say, are you an instant card? If so, stay facing down. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah. there's so we've already seen uh, Dash and Bolster. Uh, yeah. we've, got, uh, we've got a few more uh, mechanics coming back. Uh, exploit, uh, Rebound, and uh, uh, Formidable. Now, so we'll be talking about them more in detail uh, when we get into the actual... Uh, uh, release release notes part of the, of the show, but is there anything kind of cool or neat about how we decided how you guys decided to to get them? I know like rebounds coming back, but exploit and formidable are kind of sort of new. Yeah, I mean it was important that players be able to kind of link the different abilities from their chosen clan and that they play well together, right? So bolster and outlast and all the cards that care about plus one plus one counters rebound is nice with prowess because you get to cast the spell twice so we wanted to make sure that there were kind of through lines that even though you know the nature of reality has changed because of time travel um that players building decks with cards that they've recently acquired are going to be able to find synergies and find cards that play well together cool cool so are we ready to transition into What's that? Are we diving in? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. We so I, we actually never mentioned this because we were too busy talking to Matt Tayback. But this is our release notes show as well. And uh, should I did notice uh, we had now you sent me some notes on what we were going to be talking about beforehand, not to bust the illusion of this awesome off the cuff improv yeah. fueled cast. Yeah. So. Uh, but I did notice there was a line here about me singing the Gummy Bears theme, and we I just want to verify we are skipping that. That is not going to happen. <laughs> we do not have the time. Oh, we always have the time. Would you like to see, sing the Gummy Bears theme? No, no, no. I just want to verify that we do not have the time. We're moving on. And <laughs> no, I, I think we definitely have the time, actually. I mean, we can we can come back to it. I mean, we can yeah, be always, bouncing here and there and everywhere if necessary. Always leave them wanting more. Hmm. Is that a promise for next episode, next uh, next time we have you on? I mean, if you ask any of my coworkers, they will tell you that every once in a while, I I mean, I'm dashing and daring, mm. it is true, courageous and caring. 
Yes. I am both faithful and friendly. And let me tell you guys something. I have stories to share. Oh. But that will have to wait for another time. Oh, sad. All right. <laughs> so. His ma- magic and mystery is part of his history. But, oh, that's so true. Yeah. Along with the secret of Diet Mountain Dew. No, wait, that's not why. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that stuff is okay. nasty, though. All right. Diet Mountain Dew is the worst. All right. What? I got to talk about the boring, uh, not jokey stuff hey, now. Yeah. Uh, we have two returning <laughs> mechanics. Mountain Dew is pretty foul. Two returning mechanics. I just drank a code, a Diet Code Red. Like, if you want to hate yourself. Where do you, find, where do you live? <laughs> uh, Georgia? I cannot find that. I could, I could just get them from Walmart or Kroger. I don't know what a Kroger is, but that sounds amazing. What? It's a grocery store <laughs> in the South. Jeez. Oh, man. Yeah, like Virginia to Georgia, there's Kroger's. There was a uh, Diet Mountain Dew Code Red was available for sale in my area for, I swear, like 10 minutes. And I, now I just can't find it anywhere. Huh. Well, that's a good thing, right? Well, sometimes, uh, but I, I prefer my caffeine come in, you know, neon cold form. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, I'm feeling too good about myself. Let me drink a Diet Mountain Dew Code Red and really bring that down. <laughs> I just, on the off chance, this podcast is being sponsored by Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> Code Red. Only do. Only Diet would do. I don't want to run foul of them. So, Magic, what's going on? Guys? Yeah, Magic. So we have two returning mechanics. Well, two mechanics from the previous set. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, that is Bolster and Dash, which we talked about both of those in episode 110. So, quick summary of Bolster. Put some amount of plus one, plus one counters on your smallest creature. And if you have more than one smallest creature, uh, smallest toughness specifically, it puts them, uh, you choose which one. Yeah. Do all, do all that on resolution. Bolster doesn't target. I think. Yeah. So bolster two yeah, means yeah. two counters. And yeah. dash is an alternate casting cost, which lets you cast something for its dash cost. Um, you are actually casting it. So it goes on the stack, etc. Um, and then it sets up a delayed trigger ability that would make the card come back to your hand at the end of the turn. Yes. Oh, and again. And hey, just, and just to answer, oh, I'm sorry. The most, uh, a, a popular question with Dash nowadays is can, uh, you guys, if the judges out there might be familiar with a format known as Commander. Yes. Uh, yes. I do get a lot of questions about casting a Commander with Dash, which absolutely works, but the tax does apply. Yes. So every time you yes. cast it from, from the Command Zone, you will have to pay that additional cost on top of the Dash cost. Now, it bounces back to your hand, so the next time you cast it from your hand, you don't have to pay more. But if it works its way back to the Command Zone and you cast it again, the tax will, will apply. Sweet. Sweet. All right. All right. I'll keep that in mind for when I build my my Culligan EDH deck or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Okay. Oh, oh sorry. If, it, if it's not people do that, I've gotten that question a bunch. Yeah, we had, we actually we had a little section on Commander and Dash last time because yeah, th- that's the question you're going to get a lot. People just man, I should have talked to you guys first. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a good question though. People don't listen to every it's episode. A, yeah, it's a great Hey, you could have a uh, Zergo Bell Striker as your commander because he's also a legendary creature with that. And hey, Jesse's tiny leaders also. Yes, see, that's he, that's more my speed. He's Very. super efficient too. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's no Norin the Wary. Would you say he's? Yeah, he's from Bills on turn one, man. Would you say he's formidable? Uh, he's he's about twenty five percent formidable. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's to represent the fact of the, the the fall from grace. 
in the new timeline. He's not quite as formidable as well, he technically used to be. he ne- technically he never fell if he never was there to begin with because of this time change thing. You but know, has always been a bell striker. Whatever could have, what else? Could yeah, he and be- Biff has always been waxing that truck. Just one episode without a Back to the Future reference. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm stories were, are, and will be awesome. <laughs> yes. All right, so formidable is an ability word, which means it has no actual rules meaning. It's just something used to tie a bunch of abilities together. Uh, in this case, it's a bunch of abilities that care about you controlling creatures with, power, with a total power of eight or greater. So we're talking about adding up all the creatures you have, all their power, and is that eight or greater. So this this works well with uh, uh, the other ability of ferocious, or at least it's pretty strongly thematically tied. Where ferocious cared about if you had a creature of power four or more, formidable being eight. So if you just have two ferocious creatures, I'm doing air quotes like you can see me, mm-hmm. uh, then you automatically have uh, formidable. Uh, and since a lot of the creatures that have formidable, uh, they count their own power. So they help you get up there real quick. Yeah. So it looks like, um, so yeah, if you have two, four, fours, one, eight, eight, four bear cubs, you are formidable. Yes. (laughs) Those bear cubs. Formidable army of bear cubs. Now, now negative numbers, you, you count those when summing them up. That's yeah. So, uh, you, you do math. Math still works. I, I haven't ruled a, around that yet. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yet. Yet. So for example, if you uh, say, I'm just going to make something up here. If you control three creatures, the powers four, five, and negative two, the total power of creatures you control would be seven. Yeah. What? And uh, an easy that negative two counts as negative two. An easy way that could happen is, oh, I think you just said it actually, is <laughs> if you give a bunch of creatures, you know, give them negative four minus zero. Or whatever. That's an easy way to get creatures down into negative power because it does count. Yeah. No. That. Yeah. Uh, blue especially has. Yeah. A lot of actually, I think there's even one in Fate Reforged. Yeah, I think there's a there's a negative six minus six minus zero in this set. I'm not, or maybe that was Fate Reforged. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of you know uh, in black you know target creature gets minus one minus one or to, you know tokens get what is it like minus two minus two or something like that. So the creature with high toughness could survive. So so here's uh, just to shatter any illusions you may have had of of me as rules manager. No, I don't know all the cards by heart. And sometimes when a new set comes out, these are cards that I haven't really seen in a while. So I sometimes don't remember them. Oh, Shore Crasher Crasher Elemental is a good one. The Mega Morphling, because you can give it negative one plus one. Oh, do that enough and you get to negative power. So there you go. Um, there you go. Oh, I like the name Mega Morphling a lot. Yeah. I think that was that was the playtest name, and I think it showed up in I believe it was Gavin Verhey's article that previewed it. Yes. <laughs> it did. That's that's so awesome. So formidable uh, seems to appear in, in a couple of different forms. Yeah. Uh one is on activated abilities that will basically read, you know, like Crater Elemental says, Crater Elemental has base power eight until end of turn. Activate this ability only if creatures you control have total power eight or greater. So that's that's a restriction on actually activating the ability. So if you activate the ability because you have formidable and it's on the stack, and then somebody kills one of your creatures, and so you drop below formidable, 
this ability will still resolve as normal because it's already been activated. Yes. That's correct. It's just a gate to see whether you can activate the ability in the first place. Right. The ability still exists on the card. It doesn't, like, disappear if you don't have Formidable. You just can't activate it. Yeah, and, and actually, I mean, once you activate it, the activated ability on the stack exists independent of what happens to its source. So it's just there. Yeah. And the uh, the other one I've seen is uh, it's on a it's as a trigger, a formidable trigger. Uh, so like Sabretooth Outrider says, whenever Sabretooth Outrider attacks, if a, if creatures you control have total power eight or greater, Sabretooth Outrider gains first strike until end of turn. So here's the uh, part of the episode where we get to have our intervening if trigger talk. Like every gather episode. around, gather, <laughs> gather around. So okay. if you have an intervening if clause, then it uh, it's gonna check to make sure that condition is true twice. Once when the ability triggers. And then also, again, when the ability resolves. Uh, so in this case, you have to have a power both when the ability triggers and when it resolves. So that gives your opponent the opportunity, or you the opportunity, to to change that situation and bring it down from eight. All right. Yep. Well said. And we <laughs> we say it every FAQ episode. Because yeah. the one we don't so is the one where we get an, F, we get an email and they're like... Yeah. Whenever, whenever Judge Cast has an episode, if intervening if clauses are mentioned, we talk about intervening if clauses. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Brian. Nice. All right. Okay. I'm sorry, uh, Brian. I cannot accept uh, design submission. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just make up your own cards with me. So I, I must forget I heard. <laughs> exploit. 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 I don't think exploit really clicked to me until was it Rosewater? I think he kind of explained it as having creatures that were also sorceries. But then if you didn't want to use up your creature as the sorcery, you could just use up another creature instead. So here's what exploit says. Uh, we'll use minister of pain as the example. Uh, exploit basically means when this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature. So note there, you don't have to. And then it says, when Minister of Pain exploits a creature, i.e. sacrifices it for the exploit trigger, creatures your opponent's control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. So one thing, I don't know, it didn't jump out at me immediately, is you can sacrifice the creature with exploit, and it all will still work just fine. Yeah, there's some some trickiness to be had here. Uh, you can sacrifice the creature with exploit itself, assuming it's still on the battlefield when that exploit ability resolves. True. When you do so, uh, there's a, always a second ability that kind of gives you the bonus. Exploit is kind of a funny keyword because all it means is when this enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice a creature. Great. <laughs> that Great. sounds awesome. Great ability. Yeah, let me get it my. Kind of reminds me of Scribe. It's like your spells might be more expensive. <laughs> Fantastic. Not not. It doesn't remind you of Haunt. It, it doesn't. Yeah, Haunt is a good one too. Uh, so notably, if I uh, one of these creatures with exploit enters the battlefield, exploit will trigger and go on the stack. Uh, if the creature with exploit leaves the battlefield in response to that ability, the ability will still resolve. You can still sacrifice a creature if you want to one that's still on the battlefield under your control. But notably, because, say, the Minister of Pain is no longer on the battlefield, that second ability won't trigger. They're two separate abilities. So Minister of Pain either has to be the one, the creature you sacrifice to exploit, or it has to still be on the battlefield to see that sacrifice so the second ability triggers. Okay. Uh, also, it looks like uh, with exploit, so you... You are choosing the creature to sacrifice when the ability, when the exploit ability resolves. 
so the opponent doesn't get to get to know which creature you're exploiting until it's too late. Are you? Correct. By the time you've decided, they can't respond. Yeah, yeah. They can probably figure it out just by looking at your board and going, oh, you're probably going to sacrifice the O1 or whatever. But right. they have to sort of guess. Yeah. And they can't stop you from sacrificing a creature other than taking away all your creatures. Yeah. Uh, you also can't sacrifice more than one creature to exploit. That's or you true. can't exploit more than one creature at a time. Yeah. Right. Oh, I, re I really like the, the wording on this. <laughs> Like, you, you can't exploit more than one creature at a time. Right, there are rules against too much creature exploitation here. <laughs> but you can exploit things, but you have to do so reasonably, right? We can't yeah. Can they, uh, um, also, from a from a rulesy policy, from a from a judge policy thing. So exploit is a is a may trigger. Uh, so let's we don't have to worry about determining whether or not it's detrim usually detrimental or anything like that. It's a may. So. If you miss it, uh, it's it goes poof. You're welcome. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Yes, thank you. Um, all right, uh, rebound, rebound, rebound's back. Who who saw that? Who couldn't see this coming? I felt like I should have. Yeah, I really do. Although it's a little, it's a little bit late. I mean, it should have been back uh, a few sets ago, right? What, what, why is that? Well, like the very next set, it was in Rise of Eldrazi, and then the very next set was Innistrad, right? Yeah, you but those the beginning sets, of the next set. All of those sets represent like your combat and and post combat main phase. Oh, and uh, the opponent's and, turn, like yeah, yeah. yeah then then the okay. turn, and we went through several cleanup steps. I stand corrected. We're back around to upkeep with Dragons of Tarkir. Right, it's it's actually a giant multiplayer game. So so every set was somebody else's turn. Uh. Here's the secret that not many people realize. We're all actually just magic cards in a very cosmically large game of magic. It's deep. That we are mostly unaware of. Just blew my mind. Okay. So anyway, so Rebound. Rebound's a, a pretty awesome mechanic, actually. Um, and the amount of time I spent trying to figure out how to break this the first time around was way too much. Because uh, it wasn't really breakable. No. Um but rebound basically gives you a way for you to cast a spell, and then, uh, then beginning of your next upkeep, it gets cast again. It's, right. That's the basics of how it works. For free. Yeah, okay, so let's read the card here. Artful Maneuver, one and a white. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Rebound. So you'll cast it, it'll resolve, and the final part of it resolving, instead of going into the graveyard, it will go into exile. Then, <clears throat> at the beginning of your next upkeep, you'll get a trigger... And the trigger will say, hey, you can cast that uh, rebounded you card. You may cast it. Yeah, can, may, if you choose to do so. You may, right. And in some cases, you may not be able to in case the spell requires a target and there isn't a legal one available. Oh, I don't want to give my opponent's creature plus two plus two. I want right. to leave it in exile. Right. You don't have to. You can just leave it in exile if you want to. So when you when you cast a uh, a card with rebound uh, and it goes into exile when you when you're casting it the second time uh, you are doing so without paying its mana cost so that's kind of follows all the rules of of uh, paying alternate costs for spells so you can't really you can't really mix and match uh, uh, other alternate costs that might uh, that might be on the cards themselves right. Uh, also, since there's no uh, since there's no mana cost, there's no delving. Uh, that's while well, that's not a like an alternate cost thing. Um, that is yeah. a a uh, a delving thing since there's no there's no mana payment. 
There's nothing to delve. Right. And that's usually true, but it's, that's not actually, like, if there happens to be an additional cost to the spell that you still have to pay, because you're just getting credit for the mana costs, not any additional costs it may have. So there is a very unusual case where the card actually has delve, and there's some additional cost because something is giving it one, where you can pay that additional cost by delving, but that's a pretty rare situation. Yeah, that involves that involves the, the enchantment, was it cast through time, I think, from yeah, you would need something uh, cast through time or Narset Transcendent, I believe, gives. Uh, right, 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 right. In this set. And then Thalia. Wait. Can, yeah. Can or, yeah. Thalia would. <laughs> All right, work. we're there. We delved one card. <laughs> Yay. It was worth yeah. it. Worth our time. Uh, so let's say the trigger resolves and you're like, I don't want to cast this card. What happens to it? Uh, it hangs out in exile. Oh. You, you only get one opportunity when that when that delayed trigger ability resolves. You can cast it now or forever hold your peace. Yep. And if you choose not to or if you can't, it just stays in exile forevermore. Um, so one thing that a lot of players did the first time we had rebound is they sometimes would take a card uh, that they cast that had rebounded. They would put it on top of their library to remind them to cast it. Uh, this is something that we, we should, like, as judges, we should probably discourage players from doing with all the coursers of crew fix running around. Yep. Well, even, even before uh, then, even before then, we were supposed to be discouraging it because, because the, the Oracle Moldai is running around. Well, I was going to say, because <laughs> the MTR says that you're allowed to keep a small, like, token or bead or something on the top of your die, it does not say that you can keep on a top card. of your die. It, yeah, I think we've, we've, been pretty consistent. we've been pretty consistent historically about not letting players use actual magic cards to serve as a reminder. Yes. Because um, that down That's... that pathway peril. Yeah. So and this... a bead, uh, a cat, a little brother, whatever you have handy to sit on your library, but but not a magic card. Um, so, so yeah, that's fine. Don't use a magic card. Don't let your players use a magic card. But also, at the same time, don't start penalizing people for doing this. Just remind them, hey, uh, don't put that on top of your library. Put something else there to remind you. Yeah, friends don't let friends put magic cards on top of their library. Right. Right. That is a reminder. Yep. And I can't wait. There will be a forum post about this. Mark my words right now, and it'll get way more responses than it should. Yes, judge, probably. Judge That's more. okay, though. Dear future so, forum poster, yes. it's a really bad idea. Don't allow Just it. Just don't allow it. <laughs> we will probably be quoting you on that. But customer service. Uh, All right. Customer service. <laughs> All right, so what about flashback and rebound? Because Brian felt the need to add this to the show notes. Hey, we that cover, does, we cover they, all. That does nothing. Yes. Right, but they seem to ask it. Right, so rebound only applies if you're casting the spell from your hand. Otherwise, it yeah. would just rebound, you know, unto eternity. Uh, so flashback will give you a third casting of the spell because you can cast it once from your hand. Then rebound will take it to exile where you can cast it a second time. That second time when the ability resolves because you weren't casting it from your hand, it will just go to the graveyard as normal. From there, you can cast it a third time with flashback. That will put the card into exile. It wasn't rebounded to exile, so it will just sit there like any other flashback card. Yeah. Yeah, I think we should just... Uh, now, go ahead. I, say, I think we should go ahead and mention Narset while we're here. Because really, I, well, we, we could. I only have one yeah, thing to sure. say about Narset, and it's it's along these lines. Well, before you do that, I did want to bring up the only thing that gets weird, I think, with this uh, mechanic in this set is if you want to use Soulfire Grandmaster's ability uh, to to bring a card back to your hand mm -hmm. after you cast it uh, and that card has rebound. Yeah, uh, you, you, you get to choose which of the two effects will apply. Um, so you, you get to cast it and then you go, 
Well, this is trying to go two places at once. Which basically, which one do I want? Yeah, that's a good point. It, it also uh, worth mentioning is cards like uh, Temporal Mastery that exile themselves during their own resolution. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the important point here is that Rebound tries to apply after the spell is done resolving, and as that last part, you put it into the graveyard. Temporal Mastery and cards like it exile themselves before you ever get to that point, so Rebound does not apply. Even if Temporal Mastery has Rebound through Narset or Cast Through Time, it won't rebound, so to speak. It will go to exile because that's what the spell says to do, but you won't get to cast it a second time. Well, why even talk about Narset now? Because that was the point I wanted to make. Oh, <laughs> shoot. Okay, right. take two. Narset. <laughs> Basically, Narset's oh, okay. minus two can give uh, sorceries and instance rebound, and I was exactly... I was going to talk about Temporal Trespass, but... Oh, Temporal Trespass. Close enough. That's the one I was actually thinking of. Uh, Mastery is the absent restored one, right? Uh, yes, but they both do the same thing. They both exile themselves. Right. Uh, so, yes, either way. Uh, but while we're here on Narset, her plus one says to look at the top card of your library. If it's a non-creature, non-land card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. So this is what? The anti... I forgot his name. The tiny giant. Domri. Tiny Domri giant. Raid. Oh. He's a giant. Oh. No, no, you're the regular giant. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Is, is it tiny giant how big is a tiny giant uh two three okay two three ba -ba -dum -bum. yes uh yeah so a segovian giant <laughs> <That's> one one <laughs> yes it's the size of a whale yeah so her ability is this is mostly for a policy perspective when these cards are legal and competitive uh, I think some people might think that the upgrade for failing to reveal cards occasionally is gone because of the changes for Morph, and that is not true. So if you look at the top card of your library, don't reveal it, and put it straight into your hand, and there are other cards in your hand, that is still a game loss. So please be, at competitive, so please be very careful yes. with this card. Yep. At its at its core, it is uh, you are you are taking an action that the opponent cannot verify the legality of. Um, and that is, uh, you know, that's, that is the pretty much the upgrade clause for game rule violation. So that's why a lot of the cards like this, they have, you reveal them so that the other person can see that you're actually putting an instant or sorcery in your hand or a creature if you're a tiny giant. Yes. Yes. Um, Narsa transcends many things, but she does not transcend the item. No. no. All right. Time for... Ah, man, second time I had the opportunity for this pun. I'm going to start over. It's Megamorphin time. I don't hear any applause or laughter or anything. Oh, we, there was there was typing on a keyboard. Yeah, I know. That yeah, was, that I was, was distracted. What did oh. there, there? I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I did not intend to ruin your joke. I thought those, I just needed my, those, my uh, mic for the typing. Sorry about improv that. Improv classes working out great for you, huh, Tavak? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yes, and... They are working fantastic. And. Yes, and. All right. We already talked a little bit about Megamorph. You guys want to play the alphabet game? I could do that. No, I don't want to. I, I don't <laughs> want to do any of these things. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we talked about this already. So I think we'll go do a abbreviated version. But <clears throat> Morph is exactly like, sorry, Megamorph is exactly like Morph. It's a, it's a cost you can pay to turn the card face up. And it also lets you cast it face down, ETC, ETC. And so, so we talked, we talked about morph a whole episode. Yeah. Episode 99, like an hour just on morph. Yes. 
So if you really want more than what CJ's summary is, go back and listen to, to episode 99 and you'll learn all about uh, uh, mirror, mirror Weave and Morph. So you're yes. saying episode 99 is where I should go if I want to know more. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yeah, the only additional things I want to mention is the Megamorph. It's a interest. It's a as it turns face up, it's a replacement effect effectively, which means they get the plus one plus one counter the moment it is face up, and that doesn't use the stack, and nobody can respond to it getting the counter. So you can't try to kill it before it gets the counter. So it's it's basically never face if you if you pay the 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 Megamorph cost, it's never face up without that counter. That's correct. Yes. Um. And then that also interacts positively with things like hardened scale and doubling season. Great. I would imagine. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, probably. I, I don't know. I, we should get somebody in here that knows. We'll go. Hey, remember about an hour and a half ago when you asked me whether anyone mentioned something, if I ever got a rules question, then I had to be like, oh, that's a good idea. I didn't think about that. I should go write a rule. Yeah? Yeah, well, doubling season. So... <laughs> There you go. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Yay, I contributed. Yay. Uh, if an effect with, but yeah, let's say that works. Totally works. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah. Bonus count for everybody. <laughs> uh, if... A brief, brief segue. Uh, we talked about my Tumblr, which you, yes, you can read at tabacrolls.tumblr.com. Yeah. There'll be a link in the show. A notes. lot of the questions I get, I'm going to go off on a very small mini rant here. A lot of the questions I get, not not a rant, just a commentary. A lot of the questions I get come in the form, hey, Matt, would the rules support blank? Or could the following exist in the rules? Here's the secret, and I'm going to let you guys in on it. Gather around. The rules can support anything as long as I still have a keyboard. We make them up. We totally make them up. What? I can, we, can do, we can do whatever we want. The goal is we want to make the best game that people really enjoy playing. So it's not a matter of can we do something, should we do something. That's why we all have jobs. You guys, hopefully, have an awesome game to play. It's pretty sweet. I mean, I do a podcast on it, on the rules yeah. alone. Of it. I... So, yeah. can, can the magic rules support this? Sure. Anything anything you want. Sorceries with feet. So the magic rules can support a podcast, which apparently they do. Yes. Uh, yeah. Awesome. All right. <laughs> if you have something face down that has Megamorph and you put it face down through Manifest and you turn it face up using the Manifest cost, you are not getting the counter. You Correct. Only, we we yeah. do charge you that Megamorph cost to get the counter. If you turn it face up any other way, then no. And then I'm not sure if there's any in the current set, but I, I read on your Tumblr that any cards that refer to creatures with morph also apply to creatures with megamorph. And I know there's reminder text for one in the, in this set, but... Yeah, there's a handful of older cards that refer to morph. Uh, Backslide is the one that comes to mind. I think Weaver of Lies is another one. There's also, um, there's also one that reduces the morph cost for cards, isn't it? Yeah, Exile Doomsayer? Is that one? Mm. That says all morph costs costs two more. And that does apply to Megamorph. So basically Megamorph, it, it's not really its own ability than Morph. It's a variant, very similar to the cycling, land cycling relationship. Uh, Megamorph does have a morph cost. A Megamorph cost is a morph cost. Hmm. It's all kicker. Yeah, everything's, everything's, kicker. It's all, everything's <laughs> kicker. Hey, 
speak. When in doubt, just say a sentence that includes the word megamorph five or six times, and no one will be listening by the end of that sentence. So. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. So, and and it's kind of weird because megamorph is like one of the big mechanics in the set, and we actually spent more time on rebound. Well, rebound's really complex. It's true. We, we it have is, a whole episode of morph. Megamorph is not. Yeah. Yeah. Re rebound is pretty complex. Megamorph kind of bootstraps off morph. So if you, if you understand the mechanics of morph, you're pretty likely to understand the mechanics of megamorph. All right. So, do you want to move on to the next set of cards? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So we have. Uh, I think the first, well, no, we, we already talked about the cycle of Megamorph, so we've got the cycle of commands to talk about. Um, commands are back. These, the dragon yeah. have commands of their own. Yes. So these are, I, the, the, the commands are modal spells. Did you want me to do an intro? I can do an intro. Oh, you can, sure. For the it. commands are modal spells with four options, and you choose two of the modes. Wow, okay. two. Normally I only get to choose one. This That's is right. great. Two out of four possibilities, if my math is correct, each one represents a possible 10,604 cards. Yeah, do you know what the problem with that is? That on Magic Online, it actually gives you all of those options. Uh, you say problem. I say <laughs> opportunity. I say opportunity. That's an awful lot of power in my hands. And as a player, I appreciate that. I think, uh, yeah, that's that's is a lot of power. The commands tend to they look like they're going to show up to be really good cards. I'm excited about that from a constructed standpoint. Um, so what if what if I want to choose uh, a mode that that I don't have a target for? Can I do that? You cannot. Any mode that requires a target, you have to have a legal target to choose that mode. So I'd have but, to choose a different mode. Right. The modes that you don't choose, you can ignore the targeting requirements of those. Okay. So when we we talked about when we talked about cast the steps of casting the spell, uh, basically, yeah, the you, you choose your modes before you choose targets. So if you choose modes that don't have targets, all those other, then you don't have to worry about the the, the targeting part. It essentially falls off. It basically the the steps of casting a spell kind of treat that those modes as if they're not there. Okay. Well, actually, that's that's brings us to my next point, which is that. Those modes aren't there anymore once it's cast, right? So if you copy this spell, it's going to copy the modes that were already chosen. Um, right. Cop copies maintain mode. We have yet to print a spell or an ability that copies a spell and allows you to choose different modes. I don't anticipate one is in our future, but just modes but have me. to stay the same. Yeah. But but tell me, could the, could the rules support it? <laughs> I think so. I mean... We'd have to ask the rules manager. Yeah. And really, by the time that card comes up, what are the odds it's made, right? <laughs> yeah. Basically, Spelljack. Uh, we have chosen to not uh, explore that territory, but every, anything that copies a spell does let you choose new targets nowadays. So you get the same modes, but you can move around the targets. Well, that's nice of you. Yeah, yeah we're benevolent yes. here. So uh, some, something of, of note that is... is I think looking at these cards is more is is typically more of a problem with some of the older cards like like cryptic command. But uh -huh. if all of the targets, uh, if so, if the spell requires even though you chose two modes, one of the modes requires a target, and then that target is removed from the game in some form or fashion or changes zones, then you have a spell with a single target. That target is no longer legal. The spell is going to get countered. You do not do the other mode 
Um, right. So basically a good way to think about it is once you've chosen your two modes and your targets, imagine that the spell is just a spell that does those things. And if those two abilities combined have a single target, then all the rules that apply to a spell with one target apply. If that spell becomes illegal, when that spell tries to resolve, it'll be countered and none of its effects will happen, even the untargeted portions of it. I think we, we definitely took steps when we were definitely aware of that in development. So while some of the commands do have modes that are targeted and modes that aren't, I think you'll find the combinations of those are a lot less likely to fall into that trap. Uh, for example, Ojitai's command targets a creature card with uh, converted mana cost two or less in your graveyard or a creature spell. Those two things are less likely to become illegal targets than, say, a creature. Yeah. So Ojitai's command does have, I'll, I'll say, one of the one of the same problems that, that Cryptic Command had in, in from a policy standpoint. Um, so if you choose the... Uh, uh, counter target creature spell or return target creature one of one of those two modes that has a target and then the draw a card option yeah um and then this and then the target goes away please 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 remember that the spell is countered and don't draw that card uh because that is a competitive rel that is a a serious infraction right I really need to point out that, and we keep saying competitive REL here, and there's a reason for that. So please, because I keep hearing stories of people giving like game losses at regular REL at FNM or pre-releases, and don't your pre-release that is not don't do that. Yeah, yeah, don't do it. Just make it, just fix it, make it right, and get the players back to playing and and being happy at the pre-release. You'll find, uh, I believe, you'll find that Ojitai's command is the only one of the five that has that possibility. Uh, I, yeah, I'm fairly sure the other ones, uh, the other four commands are either all targeted modes or all untargeted modes. Yeah, I did notice that, yeah. And I think we let it go on Ojitai's command mostly because the, tar- the, the two modes that target target things that are, like I said, unlikely to become illegal targets, certainly possible. The card in your graveyard could definitely go away and respond. But it's, a lot, it's a lot harder, yeah. Yeah. It's not very likely that you can sacrifice a spell on the stack. In response I mean, to being targeted. Maybe you get into a counterspell war and another counterspell ends up taking that target away. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. How about that. But it's less likely. So we're hoping it players don't do that too much. So before we dive into the uh, card specific notes, what we're going to do here is wrap up this episode so that we can get this one out as fast as possible and do a second episode, which means within the what? span of two weeks, people are going to get three separate JudgeCast episodes, which is unheard of. Well, we have I to have make up for them. Yes. You just heard of it right now. Yeah. It's, you heard it first here. We're padding yes. our numbers. Yes. We, well, we have to make up to the listeners for that FNM episode last week. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That's a topic for another time. But for right now, if you want to contact so us. Wait, are we, are we just going to say goodbye to the listeners for now and then they'll come back for the next episode? Yes. Is that how it yes. works? Yes. So, so basically, we're going to be releasing another episode following this one. We're going to release them almost back to back. Yeah. Uh, one for the stuff we already talked about and one for the card specific notes. That way it breaks it up nicely. Um, and so think, of it, think of it as an old Dukes of Hazard episode where we're stopping right as the General Lee is jumping over a truck or something like yeah, that. Yeah, this is kind of what I was going to ask about. Is, is there some sort of cliffhanger? Is there some sort of, are, like, are we leaving them with an unanswered question? So, well, um, we 
could discuss <laughs> the yeah, we, secrets yeah, yeah, yeah. of gummy berry juice. We could do that, or we uh, could we could read things in an interesting way. Like that might. Let be. me let me ask you uh, just one question uh, because it's of great import to me. Um, am I coming back on this next episode, or is this it for me? You are coming back on this next episode. You are definitely episode. coming back on the next episode. I am. You are, you are always welcome on our show. Those poor, poor listeners. All right, we'll right? get through that. No problem. So, um, so... I'd be, I'd be so happy to <laughs> We'll get through. I'm super I, excited. I'm very glad to hear that. Um, so... Now you did mention you did mention that you might do a little bit of a dramatic reading of some of the release notes on your, on the next episode. Is that yeah? Is I, that thought true? The, I thought the next episode could just be me reading the release notes in a, a style, accent, or genre voted on by the listeners. Now the listeners don't know this. We don't really have time to ask them. We got time. So I don't know what to do. We'll figure it out. Well, we could ask them right now. Yeah, we'll ask them right now. And and uh, hopefully, uh, <laughs> so ho- hopefully they'll hear it. And also, we could put it on our Facebook page. Yeah, uh, as a nice little poll. So that's so actually really fine. easy to do. I should uh, uh, I should tell you, I'm not great at accents. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, this should be interesting. So yeah. what are our options then? Oh, um, I mean, we could do Scottish is a good one. Uh, Russian, Klingon. Uh, it doesn't just have to be an accent, though. They could do uh, some sort of dramatic style. Uh, can, we, can we do Uruk High Orcs? Uh, sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah, Orcs. Great. So, so, let, so, so we'll post this on our Facebook page as well and, and just go to that. Uh, go to our Facebook page. on uh, It's uh, facebook.com slash judgecast. Yes. And, or uh, email us at judgecast at gmail.com or... Tweet us at twitter.com slash judgecast. Thank you. I was trying to get that out. I have to get that out before we end an episode. <laughs> and and let us know how you'd like how you'd like uh, the, to, a little bit of a dramatic reading, not the whole episode, but a little bit of dramatic <laughs> reading uh, of the release notes from Matt Tabak. And uh, we'll make sure that that happens when we finish recording. <laughs> yes, uh, we'll make sure. Yeah. We'll make sure. We're going to actually make him. Uh, yeah, uh, Matt, we'll just stand over him with a whip. Uh, episode, unless it's with the accent thing. So it's like a, a weekend for me, is what you're saying. <laughs> Look how popular your Facebook page is. That is awesome. Uh, so I, many judges. We, uh, we, there are a lot of magic judges. We have a lot of likes on our Facebook page. And if you're listening to this right now and you haven't liked our Facebook page, please do so. You get all of our updates that way. It's also uh, a lot of players. Go on iTunes and rate us five stars. Okay. All right. <laughs> Lots of self-promotion. Okay. Um, is there anything else that we wanted to discuss real quick before we signed off and come back later? Nope. Thank you for being on this half, Matt. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, and guys. I look forward I cannot to... wait for uh, round two or the top eight, whatever whatever part we're going. For. Yeah, that's the part we'll be in. All right. <laughs> my name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. Brian Perlman. I keep it. I uh, never mind. <laughs> I got. <laughs> pause the interview i'm being kicked out of my no i'm not being kicked out of my room we're good we're good that was that was a little look inside wizards live i'm in a conference room right now and somebody else had a meeting in this conference room tried to kick me out as was their right but i i i repelled the attack did you uh did you, did you pump but, yourself up to look intimidating yeah because I, I had to stand up it's tough right. for me <laughs> uh, i declared this interview continuing we should continue all right let's do it <laughs> I really thought you were leading into a rebound joke there. I don't. I really thought that was all set up. Really good timing. Yeah.
you know, little do we know the guy's going to be back uh, in a few minutes to try again. That's uh, the rebound joke. <laughs> that's a good rebound joke. I'm going to hang up on you now. I'll call you back. Bye. Oh. No, I'm kidding. No. Okay. <laughs> I can't the rebound jokes just don't stop. I can't tell when he's joking. <laughs> just... That's my secret power. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs>